I'd like to thank Elder Bennett for leaving me with these next three weeks of sermons. He said very intentionally a long time ago that he was trying to pace himself to basically leave me with these sections of sermons. I don't know why. God worked it out that he would get what he wanted, so obviously this is what God wants too. So, this one's going to be fun. We, I, here's the th- Dad, Dad was praying before we started, because some weeks we have, it's just kind of been the life cycle of our church. Uh, some weeks we have everybody show up, some weeks we have not a lot of people show up, and he was praying that the exact people that needed to be here would be here. So hopefully you believe like we do, that you are here and that this specific group is here this morning for a very specific reason. Um, and that God is going to speak to us in a powerful and specific way. Uh, so you can go ahead and start turning to Matthew chapter 18, if you would like. Um, so Ellie already understands this concept, this idea that she can walk up to Tiff and she can say, Hey, Mom, can I have this, or can I watch this, or can I play this? And Tiff will say to her, not right now. No, for whatever reason it might be. Maybe it's supper's coming up. No, you can't have a snack right now. And she already understands that then, if she waits long enough and she knows that I didn't hear Tiff say that, she'll come to me. And she'll say, hey, Dad, can I have a snack, or can I play this, or can I watch this? Right? Because she, she, she's hoping that... I will say, oh yeah, sure, I don't have a problem with that, which sometimes happens because I don't know that Tiff has already made a decision and we have to kind of train ourselves to realize, oh wait, am I the second person that she's asked about this? And so, because, because if Tiff says one thing and I say the other, then basically what I'm teaching Ellie is that she can get away with something if she just keeps asking different people and eventually gets the answer that she wants. And I'm kind of training her to not take the answer that she's given, even though it's not the one that she wants. And we're, we're, not, we're, we're training her to say, I'm not happy with that answer. I'm going to go find somebody who's going to give me the answers that I want to hear or give me the thing that I want right now. And I'm just going to kind of keep moving on and on and on and, 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 and parenting her inconsistently. If Tiff and I aren't on the same page, if we're not leading her the same way, if, we're, if one of us says one thing, if the other is not supporting that, we're basically teaching her, hey, you can kind of do whatever you want to do. You can keep going, you can keep finding other people until you eventually find the person that gives you the thing that you want. It's like the bottom line is inconsistent parenting, and you'll you'll eventually see why I'm giving you this. Inconsistent parenting, especially between mom and dad, is only going to teach our kids to misbehave. Like it's only going to teach them to keep trying to do something to undermine what their parents have said. To try to find a way out from the authority that's over them. And over the next couple of weeks, next three weeks, um, we're going to be talking about some kind of heavy, some hard stuff. Like, like the next few sections in Matthew are difficult things when applied properly. And because they're difficult, they aren't applied consistently throughout the church. Um, and I'm going to come back to it, but... But if we don't really dive into what we're being taught here by Jesus and really try to understand how we're supposed to apply this and actually apply it, even if it's tough, 
then we're going to find ourselves kind of in the same situation as a, as a couple who one says no to one thing and one gives in. Or one says, we're going to do things this way, and another says, no, I don't like that way. We're going to go this direction. If the church, and I say church, big C church, like, out, like, like this church and the church half a block that way and the church two blocks that way, if we, if we apply these things differently, we're kind of setting ourselves up for a lot of problems when it comes to how we use and apply scripture. Uh, so over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about church discipline, we're going to be talking about forgiveness, and we're going to be talking about divorce, which are going to be three, I can guarantee you now, really cheery, cheery, happy subjects that we're going to talk about. Maybe we'll have some fun. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, but hopefully, I, as we're going through these things, I'm going to give you reason to really dive in and understand what is it that my responsibility is in light of these verses, and maybe that you'll be moved to take some sort of action because of this. Like you're going to have a, I can't, I can't sit back and let this continue be true, and I have to, I have to do something about this. Maybe there's, maybe there's an issue of, of separation between you and somebody else in the church, and you guys need to have a conversation. Maybe somebody has, has apologized and repented of some sin, and you haven't been willing to forgive them. Uh, maybe there are going to hopefully be conversations that come out of our next few weeks where uh, I really hope that God would work to kind of bring us closer together as a body of believers. And I'm not saying that because of the way we're going to study these verses that we're going to fix the whole big C church all across the world. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I hope that, that at least we as a church are really trying to say, what, what does Jesus want from us? And we're going to do it just like that. Because the stakes are high for how we deal with these issues. And, and if we don't apply them correctly, if we don't use them the way that Jesus wanted us to, what are we really accomplishing? So, Matthew chapter 18, we're going to be in verse 15, and I'll read through verse 20. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done to them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So we often describe this section, and I already did, uh, of the Bible as Jesus teaching about church discipline. But I actually think that is kind of an inaccurate description of what this section is about. This section is actually about reconciliation. This, this section is actually about um, repentance, restoration. This is about how do we get through and get, get, get over and restored from being separated from somebody in the church. And I say in the church specifically because when he opens it up, he says, if your brother sins against you. So we're talking about a fellow believer here. So, so this, is, this, is a, this is how we're supposed to deal with in-house issues between two saved people. 
that being said, unless it, you know, they reveal that we find out that they're not actually saved, but we'll get to that. Um, this is a conversation that Jesus is trying to say, as members of the body of Christ, as believers, as people who are in this together, this is how we deal with things that come between us. And the point of this is repentance, restoration, reconciliation. The whole point of this is not, this is how you punish somebody when they do something wrong. The whole point of this is, this is how you get back together when there's been some sort of tension in between you. So more than anything else, as we continue to read through this, at every step along the way, the point, the goal, the thing that we're hoping to achieve when we work through every single one of these steps is that we get back together. Like if there's tension, if there's sin, if there's something that has come between us in some sort of way, maybe it's, maybe it's two people sinning against one another, maybe it's one person who has been sinned against, whatever the situation is, there is something separating two believers the whole point is that we're going to try to get back together. The whole point is reconciliation. And the responsibility to begin the process is on the offended person. So we've kind of got two people here. We're going to use for, for, this, for, for the sake of explaining through what he's talking about in these verses. We're going to say you've got two individuals. One individual has sinned against a second. All right. So you kind of have the offender and you have the offended does that make sense? I could come up with names, but then I think that would just complicate it all the more. So you have the person who did the sinning and the person who has been sinned against. The responsibility of beginning this process is on the person who has been sinned against. It is their response. Right? What does he say? He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And I think it's worth pointing, even right here, that every little point of contention requires reconciliation. It doesn't say if your brother sins against you in some sort of big way, in some sort of noticeable way. If there's some sort of any little thing between you and your brother, he's saying, go work it out. Go talk to him. Because, because hopefully you're just going to get to that one-on-one -on -one conversation, like he just said. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That's easy. He's saying... If there's something little, just go talk to him about it. There have been plenty of times in my life where I thought either somebody has sinned against me or they might have. And it's like, if I just go talk to him and I go talk to him, it's like, well, let's talk about this. We work it out. Are we cool? We're cool. Moving on. Not a big deal. Sometimes it's going to take more and more. Sometimes they're going to say, I didn't really do anything. And you might have to go further down the steps. And, and, maybe, and maybe it turns out that it was a sin in your life that had actually caused the tension. I don't know. Um, and, and it may sound petty to say every single little thing that somebody does that sins against you or every little single thing that comes between you and some other brother that's going to kind of separate you, you should go talk to him about immediately, face to face, deal with it. And that may sound petty, but, but if you remember, think about what we read last week when Caleb was talking about the shepherd who has, 90, has 100 sheep and one goes away. Right? It, it, he has 99% he has good things right now, and 1% is bad. But what does he do? He leaves the 99 to go after the 1. So every single little thing, no matter how seemingly insignificant, right? Think of that. Think of those percentages. If we were like, we're at a 99% efficiency, 
when it goes to our relationships with other believers. That's great. That's an A+. Plus. That's better than I scored on any test in undergrad. <laughs> Probably. Probably. So I'd be like, that's awesome. But what he's saying here, if you think back to what he's saying last week, like, this is how Jesus treats us. If he's got, if he's got 100 and one of us wanders off, he's going after the one. I think that's a great example for us when we start looking at reconciliation between two believers who have sin between them. Even if it's the smallest thing, and even if it's not somebody that you're super close to, he's saying the stakes are so high that we be reconciled, that we be all on the same page. No matter what it is, go after them. Go to them. Work it out. Hopefully it's going to be easy. Hopefully you're going to talk to them, they're going to listen to you, you're going to have a conversation about it, and you're back on the same page. Let's keep moving forward with our mission. Let's continue to work through these kinds of things together. We also need to realize that this is not a suggestion. This is a command. This is Jesus telling us to do something, right? It's not, if your brother sins against you and you think it's a big enough deal, perhaps you should go reconcile with him, right? Look at the way that sentence is structured. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Like, do it. Like, like, don't think about it. Do it. Actually, get up, go find them, and talk to them. He doesn't say wait. He doesn't say take your time. He doesn't say think it through. He says, if there's something, go talk to them. Go deal with it. Maybe, maybe, maybe this moment you could be reconciled with them, and this doesn't have to kind of linger over you anymore. If there's some sort of division between believers, you've got to go. We have got to go and clear it up. It's not worth letting it linger. I, I don't know if you've had that, these kinds of situations between you and somebody before, but the longer you wait to deal with it, right, the longer... I hadn't thought of that story. I might tell that story. Should I tell that story? Okay, so... It's okay. You come out looking great in this story. So, like, when... I, I only ever dated Tiff before we got married, but I broke up with her two times during that because I'm a jerk, because I, I, I was, am, and will forever continue to be a jerk who is selfish and thinks only of himself. Have I prefaced this strongly enough? Uh, both times I broke up with her, I broke up with her for things that she said, why haven't you told me that, you want, that this was a thing? Why can't we just talk about this like six months ago? Why have you just been going on like there was no problem, and then all of a sudden you drop this bomb on me? Hey, why don't I think we're going to break up? Is that about how our conversations went? It wasn't nearly that quick. It, it, it was three in the morning, four in the morning. Who knows what time it was? I mean, these, but but because I was like, I, I have some concerns, and again, all of the concerns were results of sin in my life. She's she's perfectly innocent in this. Think only good and, and highly elevated thoughts of, of her. Good, good. I want you to come out looking good in this. But because I wouldn't have this conversation because like, that sounds too hard or that's not a big enough deal or whatever, I ended up breaking up with the person that God wanted me to marry two times. Unnecessarily. Now granted, I think God used those things, you know, what you meant for evil, God meant for good kind of, like, I think God used those things to kind of show me where I was uh, oh, a jerk. Thank you from the Clement section. But 
I think God used those to reveal that, that weakness in me, that, that need for growth, that need for development. But what happened was exactly what, what I'm telling you right now we should not do. We should not let these things linger. Because probably it was a, hey, I want to talk about this, this, and this. Cool. Okay, how about this, this, this? Great. We're on the same page. I've gotten a lot better about that. We have gotten a lot better. And, and if any of you are in relationships, if any of you are married or are going to be married, because there are some of those too, just go ahead and start practicing saying everything you're thinking to one another. Everything. Now. Like, go ahead and get better at that because, because that's what he's saying right now. If there's something in between, I see people leaning to, like, we got to talk later. Like, that's, no, but seriously, like, go ahead and practice this because, because this is how we avoid having things build up and become much bigger deals than they ever needed to be. We should seek to be 100% reconciled, not just in our relationships with, like, our spouses or whatever, but, but in general within the church. So if there's, I'll say, I'll say the point that I started with again. This is a command, not a suggestion. If there's some division between believers, we must go and clear it up. Because a true believer will desire to be reconciled to their brother or sister. And I say that again, a true believer will desire to be reconciled to their brother or sister above ignoring or running from the problem. We should be so filled with this desire to be on board, on the same page with our brothers and sisters, that, that above all else, we would rather face whatever frustration, whatever discomfort, whatever, however awkward that conversation is going to be, we should, we should rather have that awkward conversation with somebody than run from it because we so desire to be reconciled. The point, and, and, and I'm going to go ahead and make a point for next week, because, because our relationship with Jesus was so much worse, and yet he, he went through quite a bit to be reconciled to us. Uh, that's a point for, for next week's uh, sermon. But, but like this is, this is why we desire this feeling, this reconciliation. To fail to seek reconciliation with a brother or sister is sin in itself. This is a big thought. To let it linger to desire not to fix it, to desire not to get over it. Just like next week when we say not to forgive or to not repent, to not even go and seek reconciliation is in itself sin. So that's, that's point one. That's point one. We got to do it. Point two. So now we get to bringing two witnesses with you, one or two other witnesses. Uh, the one or two other witnesses to the conversation... The other two, they're, they're witnesses to the conversation with the people that, with the person that you have the dispute with. They're not necessarily witnesses to the original offense. And we have to understand this. Because, because not every sin that somebody commits against you, or not every sin that you commit against somebody else, is going to be done in the sight of everybody. And so if you've gone to your brother and you've said, hey, we have this issue between us that we need to work through, and they're like, I don't think that's a thing. I didn't do that. The point of bringing the witnesses with you is so that they can hear the conversation between the two and they can kind of help guide the conversation. They can kind of help say, they can kind of say, hey, you're right in this or you're actually wrong in bringing this charge and you're actually sinning by bringing a false charge against your brother and actually you need to repent. Like the whole point is that you're basically bringing in some sort of mediation, somebody who's outside of the conversation who can listen to the conversation and then kind of give some insights 
as they're listening to this. It's not like you're going and getting a group of people who already believe you, who are going to come in and are going to kind of help strong arm you into victory. It's not like you're getting, you're getting some muscle to bring along with you. It's that you're bringing some, some honest observers who are going to listen to what you're teaching. This is based on Old Testament law. I don't have the verse up there, but if you want to write it down, it's Deuteronomy 19.15. It says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. And that's essentially to protect people from being charged with something falsely and being convicted and punished for something that they didn't even do. He's saying, if you've got an issue with somebody... now, now." You may be saying, well, then why do we even have the go to them one-on-one? Because it may be that you say, hey, you've done this. And they're like, you're absolutely right. You're right. I'm sorry. I need to change. Can, we, can, we, can you forgive me? Can we get back on the same page here? And, and if that's the case, there's no reason to bring extra people in and risk becoming gossipy or risk too much of this getting out. Because if this is a private issue between two people, there's no reason to make a big deal out of it in the whole church. He's trying to protect people from having maybe their, their reputation kind of marred or whatever because they were able to work this out in a quiet way, and that's good. Like, it's not supposed to be that every single sin that happens becomes a big deal throughout the whole church. That's why he slowly says, we slowly escalate this thing. But, but if, if there's still some dissension between the two sides, you still can't come to an agreement that maybe a sin actually has taken place or they just don't want to hear about it or they don't want to change. That's when you bring in a couple of people to kind of either either support or refute the claim that the sin took place. And I want you to and, and realize, like, it's not an easy job for the witnesses either. Like, it's not fun for them either. I actually have a situation in my life where that was me. Uh, I don't remember how long ago, seven or eight years? Maybe it's even longer than that now. We were already married, but... Um, so probably seven or eight years ago, uh, I was going to be in the wedding with one of my best friends. Um, there were only three of us, and uh, one of the other guys came and said, hey, will you come sit down with us and the groom and have a conversation with him? And listen, because there are some reasons that we don't think he needs to be getting married yet. Like, we're not opposed to him getting married to this person, but we think his timing is wrong. We think he's pushing the pace a little bit too quickly. We think there are some areas of his life that he needs to change before he's going to be ready to get married. Uh, will you just come with us? So I was basically being asked to be one of the witnesses. So we did. We all went. We sat down at dinner one night, and uh, the one who asked me just kind of said, listen, here are some things that we think need to change before you should get married. Um, and I had just had to sit there, listen to things I said, and said, I agree with what they're saying. These things, like, like it wasn't a, I had not witnessed all of these things being true in his life. But I was asked to come observe the conversation, say, if these things are true, which after seeing kind of how it was all being presented, I felt they were, that the timing was wrong for this guy to get married. Um... And we kind of, as a group, said, if this is going to keep happening, we're going to, A, have to go to the next step in this, which would be to take it to the church. But also, we're not going to be in your wedding. We can't be in your wedding if you continue in this. Um, 
and I'll come back to the end of the story. I'm going to tease you with the first half because I think I can make the point a little stronger later. But that was the, the situation. It wasn't a fun situation. This guy was one of my best friends. Like, I don't want to give too much info. I don't want to, because I'm not trying to single him out specifically here. Um, but, but yeah, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't like, oh boy, this is going to be exciting. I get to go talk to this guy about sin in his life. I wasn't excited to be the one that had to go listen to that either. Like, it wasn't fun, but yet, yet that's where... That's where the Bible would say that we were supposed to be. That was what I was supposed to be listening to, and that was the support that I was supposed to be giving at the time. In that situation, he still felt, I'm going to go ahead and go ahead. I'm going to go ahead with the, with the wedding. Everything's going to go on as planned. I don't think there's anything that needs to change before then. Let's go on. And so then we do get to the third step, which is, if he refuses to them, tell it to the church. I'm going to stop right there. Tell it to the church. Now, going for the church... It's not necessarily like unannounced, without asking permission, on some Sunday morning in the middle of Nick's third song, you walk up on stage, Nick, that's a great song and all, but I got to say something. And then you like, like say, I have a whole story I need to tell you about this one person who's in sin. I don't think that's what it's talking about. Now, it might come to the point that a public announcement in front of the church is going to have to be made. But what, it's, what I think it's really talking about is make it aware to church leadership. Take it to the elders of the church and, and ask for their support in this as well. Um, it might come to the point, and when we get to the second half of that verse, I think that actually is talking about making a public declaration of what's going on to the church. But, but take it to the church leadership. Eventually, maybe take it to the body of believers, again, with the hope that this person is going to repent and be restored and reconciliation is going to take place. The only reason you're bringing in two more witnesses, the only reason you're bringing in the church in each of these steps is not to just make it more uncomfortable or make it harder. It's so that more people are encouraging this person. You need to repent. We want you to repent because we want you back on our side. We want you all on the same page with us. Like, at every step, it's not we're trying to make this worse for you. It's that we're really wanting this to be better. We're wanting to fix this. We're wanting us all to be on the same page. The point is not to gossip, but the point is to call the whole church together to call the sinning member to repentance. It's so that we might all be unified in saying, yes, you need to repent. We want you to be here with us. We want you to be on the same page as us. And if, and if that conversation had only taken place with the elders and not in front of the whole church, by the time you get to the second half of 17, uh, it for sure is talking about speaking in public to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What's he saying there? Is he saying excommunicate them from the church? Is he saying kick them out and don't let them come back? Is that what he's saying there? Joe, you look shocked. No, that's not what he's saying there. Would we accept a Gentile or a tax collector in our church? Yes. I hope you're like, a couple of yeses? Maybe a few more confident yeses would be okay there. What he's saying is, to, culturally speaking, the example of a Gentile or a tax collector, he's saying somebody who is far from God, who is outside of the church, who is unsaved, at this point, what he's saying is, we have to assume that their unwillingness to repent is revealing their heart state. They're revealing that perhaps 
they aren't actually saved. He's saying, if you get to this point and the whole church is in support of saying, we think this is a sin in your life, please repent, and they refuse to repent, it might be because they don't know what repentance is. It might be because they don't know who Jesus is. It's probably the fact that they aren't saved. And he's saying, at this point, recognize that they are not saved and now treat them as though they're unsaved. Does unsaved mean they got to get out of the church? No, we're fine with unsaved people being here. There are probably unsaved people here every single week. And every single week we pray that God would use this church to be part of the catalyst in waking them up, giving them better understanding, showing them who Jesus is. Like, like that's what he's saying do. He's saying start over from scratch with them. He's saying start back over with the gospel because they obviously don't understand the gospel. And you're like, that doesn't sound very nice. This person's been coming to your church. This person's been serving alongside you, and now you're saying, I don't think you're saved. We need to start over at the plan of salvation. We need to start over with the gospel. We need to start over with, you are far from God. Let me tell you who Jesus is. That's going to be offensive to some people who think they're saved, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. This is hard. I get that. And when I went through this situation with church discipline, I pretty much lost that relationship. I have seen him and talked to him maybe two times since then. Both times we're passing him in like the food court of the mall. Hey, how's it going? Good, how you doing? Great, I'll see you later. Cool. And I hate it. Because he was fun to hang out with. It was a great, seriously, I remember the first time he ever came over to my house. He walked up to mom, put his arm around her. He said, you got any food? <laughs> awesome. It was very him. I lost that relationship because I didn't want to avoid the hard conversation at the expense of kind of selling out. I didn't want to keep the relationship and let go of what I thought the Bible was calling us to. And I think I lost the relationship because when we got to like step three where we're supposed to take it to the church, we did that. We went and sat down with church leadership and we said, and I, I went as a, again, I was step two. I came to witness the conversation. I agree. I support what these guys are saying. Uh, all three of the guys who were going to be in the wedding sat down and said, we think he's rushing through this. We think, we think you shouldn't do this, this wedding yet. We think you should encourage them to wait until a couple of these things are fixed. And the church didn't back us. The church let him go get three new groomsmen. And he got married the same day he was always going to. And three of his best friends weren't there for it. And I lost a that sounds hard. I lost a lot of respect for the church for that because and this was, I think, after we had gone through a really intense training as a church on what church discipline is supposed to look like and how we're supposed to apply it and how things are supposed to work. 
But yet when it got hard, when it got to, we're going to have to offend a couple of people, we're going to make some people angry, our bluff kind of got called as the church. And it didn't, it didn't happen. And because this got applied, church discipline got applied inconsistently, there was no push to try to reconcile that relationship, and I lost that relationship. So why don't churches apply it consistently? I mean, it's kind of why I brought up the way that we parent, right? Like, why don't parents always support one another's decision? Well, because when the one parent said no and the kids started panicking and throwing a fit and crying and wailing, sometimes it's easier to just say, you know what, you can have what you want if you'll just shut up. Right? That's the easy way out. That is, that is short-term, a short-term way to resolve the problem. You know what? I'm just going to give you what you want. Because it's uncomfortable to continue to say no. It's uncomfortable to continue to press the issue. It's hard. Caleb said the word icky three, week, three times or four times last week, which is the word I've been using, and I forgot to trademark it before he used it. But, like, this feels icky. It feels gross. It's uncomfortable to say, I'm going to continue to press this issue. But if some of our churches let too much slide, we're only teaching believers that not all sin is worth putting to death. We're only teaching people that it's, some things are okay, some things are not worth the trouble to deal with it. Every sin is worth putting to death. This is hard. I get that. There are sometimes, I think it's like, so we have a smaller week this week because some, and a lot of people have different reasons, but we have a smaller week this week. Again, I think the people that are here are here because these are the people that God wanted to be here this week. But I'll be honest, there are sometimes in the life cycle of our church that I have very easily gotten discouraged, like, we've been at this for how long, and we're still between 30, 35, 40 people? Like, when I know this church planted, and they're already at 400 people. They're already at 500 people. This church, they, they've now got this many campuses. Look at how they've grown. And I think it's because some places make it a little too easy. Some places make it a little too comfy. And I think we have pretty consistently fought to not do that. Um, I would rather us be a small church of people who are cool with having really tough conversations with one another that are frustrating and offensive to people who have not experienced that level of accountability and that level of community and that desire to be reconciled to one another 100% across the board, every little thing we deal with. I would rather us be a small church than be a church of thousands that makes it simple and cushy. And when we get to the tough conversations, well, we'd rather not you know, offend this person. They're, they've been here for so long. This family's been here for 20 years. If we continue this, we, they might leave. 
good. Like, I said, I said as I was prepping this that I was going to tell you all I don't want you to come back. But that's not true. It's not that I don't want you to come back. But, but I would rather say something that you don't want to hear that I think is, is so obviously written here for us. And you'd be like, I can't, I can't be down with that. I got to go. I would rather do that than say, well, we're not going to push it that hard and make it really easy and make a big push. Let's get a bunch of people in here. Let's make them as comfortable as we can. We'll talk about, we'll talk about the stuff they want to hear. We won't talk about the fact that, that every little thing is worth reconciling over. Every little thing is worth reconciling over. And, and I want you all to be here. I don't want you not to come back. I want you to want the same kind of reconciliation that Jesus wants us to have. If this is hard, and if the things we're asking are too difficult and you want to leave, you're more than welcome to try. But, but you're one of our, our hundred sheep, and we're going to come after you. Just like we ought to go after somebody who, who is, is trying to pull apart from We're going to come after you. Like, I don't mean that in like a super threatening. We're going to... It sounds that way. But seriously, like, if you're one of us, we're going to treat you like one of us. And if you're one of us and it gets hard and you try to get out, we're not going to really let you do that super easy because we love you and we, we, want, we want you to be a part of this. Not like, not, not like we own you. Not like you're our property. Not like... Not like Oh, this is our people. We can't, we, we're not going to let them go somewhere else. No, but, but, but we read it like last week. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? Like, it is inconvenient to deal with little problems like that. It might seem reckless. He just left 99 of his sheep unguarded. But that's what we're being called to do. That's what Jesus did for us. Like, if one of us goes astray, he comes after us. So if one of you thinks, this is too hard a calling, I'm out, we're going to still come after you, and we're still going to try to say, we can do this. Because we want reconciliation. We want to all be on the same page. We all want, we, we want this for you. I'm not saying this is easy. In fact, I'm saying this is really hard. This is like, this is like level two. Like level ones get to know Jesus. Level twos be willing to have really hard, uncomfortable conversations with people that might sever your relationship with them forever. That's level two. Maybe level three. But think about how hard, think about, think about what we just sang about Jesus' whole being here. Think about what he went through. Think about how painful and, and, and icky what he went through was for the sake of reconciling with us. Like, the things he went through were not fun. The things he went through were not easy. But those were the steps that he was willing to go to to try to reconcile an, an irreversibly broken relationship. Like, there was no fixing it 
apart from Jesus taking those kinds of steps. So for those of us who know Jesus, for those of us who are in, we ought to be like, as hard as this seems, this is honestly nothing compared to what Jesus went through on our behalf. If you don't know him, if you don't really understand the gospel yet, if it's not alive in you, hear this. He went through all of that to be reconciled to people who did not know him, who did not want to be around him, who in a sense were fighting against him. That's where we were. We were fighting against him. And he went through all of that pain, all of that suffering, because he loves us enough and wanted to be reconciled to us. What song were you singing next, Nick? I forgot. You told me, but I Fix my eyes. That's a good one. So we need to look at him. I'm going to try to give you a segue because it's a challenge for me and I enjoy it. We do all these hard things because he already did it. We look to him as our example. We look to him as the one who's already gone through all of these things. I'm now thinking through the whole first verse of this song and it actually works really well. My heart is weary when my soul is weak, when it seems I can't traverse the trail before me. I survey the glory of your agony. And I find the will to fight for what's before me. Right, so like, there it is. Like, any of these songs, you could pick any song, and it's still true. But like, I'm not saying this is easy. In fact, it's quite hard, but when we look to what Jesus did, we look to what he's done, it gives us a purpose to fight through it, to trudge through it, however difficult it may be. So I'm going to pray, then we're going to sing. Let's pray. God, I pray right now that you would actually just be putting very specifically what conversations need to be taking place in our lives right now who it is that we need to be talking to, who it is that we need to be reconciling with. God, maybe somebody has already presented to us some area of our life that needs to change, some area that we have been sinning against them or against somebody else, and they have pointed this out to us. And we've been resistant. God, I pray that you would, you would make that known to us that, yes, we are in sin and that we need to repent. God, I just pray that you would help us to understand what reconciliation is and rejoice at the idea that we are reconciled to you and we can be perfectly reconciled to your church, to a bunch of broken, weak people. God, let us desire to be reconciled to our brothers to, to eradicate the sin that's present in our lives and, among the li and in the lives of the people that we're around. Let us desire that much more than maintaining a comfortable, friendly relationship that, that only serves to encourage somebody to continue to live in their sin. God, prepare us as believers to hear 
this call to repentance from somebody else where maybe we have sinned against somebody. Prepare our hearts to be able to not only accept hearing that, that call to repentance, but instead to go, to go above that, to rejoice that our brothers and sisters love us enough to come to us and desire to be reconciled to us. To rejoice that somebody is saying I'm in sin because they love me enough to see me stop. God, help us to realize the reality of what you've already done for us in and the pain that you went through and the suffering that you went through on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to you and so that we can be reconciled to one another. God, I just pray that as seemingly insignificant as 1% of something coming between us wouldn't feel good enough. That we would go fight to have all 100 sheep back. That we would fight to have, have nothing in between any of us. God, it's a high calling. It's a hard thing to ask. But God, I pray that you would, you would push us to desire that because that's who you are and that's what you want. And that's what you've done. That's what, that's what your death accomplished like 100% reconciliation. It was complete. It was perfect. So God, I pray that, that among these people in this room, those who aren't here that are a part of CRC, and ultimately a part of the whole church, that you would, you would cause us to have that desire to be reconciled perfectly to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.